Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, today, this morning, we're, we're affirming that we're, as we've been singing, I am a child of God. That's our identity. And it's an important question because the world around us, and even we ourselves find ourselves asking that question, they were asked, who am I? And, and I suspect almost everyone deals with it, including people that we think have it all together. In, in its May 18th, 2015 issue, Sports Illustrated named Ronda Rousey the world's most dominant athlete. And, and some things I didn't even know, she'd had quite a run at that point. She was the first U.S. woman ever to win an Olympic medal in judo. She was the youngest woman to ever qualify for the Olympics at age 14. Consistently ranked as one of the top three judo champions in the world before she transitioned over to mixed martial arts, where she immediately became dominant and and a world champion. And so going into November of 2015, she was 12-0 as an MMA fighter, and only one fighter had even gotten passed the first round with her. In fact, eight of her 12 challengers up to that point had been defeated in less than a minute. And so November 2015 came, and some of you know she lost badly. And in an interview after that devastating loss, she said, I was literally sitting there and thinking about killing myself. And at that exact second, I'm like, I'm nothing. What do I do anymore? And no one cares about me anymore without this. Her whole identity had become wrapped up in this image as the most dominant athlete in the world. In an interview with Rolling Stone, movie director Judge Apatow responded to a statement the interviewer said. He said, you've said that as an entertainer, all the success in the world won't heal you. And and Apatow replied, it doesn't do anything. There's a great distraction in thinking, when I get to the top of that hill, it's all going to be awesome. And then when you get to the top of the hill, you're like, oh, I guess now I have to really deal with my problems because that didn't work at all. And then Academy Award-winning actress Jennifer Lawrence, many of us know her from Hunger Games and from several other films, admits to battling insecurity and anxiety. She said, in the middle school, there are all these peers judging you, and you're never good enough, never wearing the right outfit, saying the right thing. I want everyone to like me. Who doesn't? Then you grow up and become famous, and it's the same thing multiplied by a billion. Our identity, our sense of value and worth can be tied up in so many things. It can be tied up in our job. It can be tied up in being a certain kind of athlete. It can be tied up in who we're married to, who our kids are, who our parents are, where we went to school. The problem is that all of those things can be taken away from us. It struck me for the first time early in my ministry when I was talking to a woman who was divorced, who had just gone through a divorce, and she said, I don't even know who I am anymore. And I thought, that's so weird. Why would you say that? But her identity was in her marriage. And I've talked to several men through the years who were laid off from work or fired. And they've said the same thing. I don't know who I am anymore. 
our, our identity can be taken away from us and we feel lost just as we think maybe it's not going to happen if you get high enough up there, but you can go to all the way to people at the top of the game and they say the same thing. Several years ago, I was, I was doing some stuff in my own life and uh, doing some depression and, and I was visiting with my counselor and, and I'll never forget this question my counselor asked me. I've never forgotten it. He, he looked at me and he just finally said, Randy, are you enough? Are you enough? And, and at first I thought, what? Like, that's the dumbest question I have ever heard in my life. But I got to tell you, it haunted me. It did not go away. I, I, it, it kept coming back. Am I enough? Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I strong enough? Am I healthy enough? Am I attractive enough? Am I skinny enough? Am I rich enough? Am I enough to matter and be loved? See, all kinds of voices today are telling us that we're not enough, that we don't measure up, that, that we don't fit. And, and those voices and those thoughts from those voices begin to shape our identity from a very young age to the point where we begin to believe them and, and feel this insecurity. We become perfectionists. That's one way we deal with it. We become control freaks. That's another way to battle these insecurities. Or we stop trying anything because we're afraid, so afraid of failure that we don't, we don't step out of anything. As we come to recognize that we sin, it even gets sometimes worse. How could God ever love me? Maybe we haven't thought about it in those terms, but still, I suspect virtually every one of us knows something's not right in me. And that leads to our key question today, who am I? As we've been going through this series, we've discerned the, the, the God of this universe is a personal God. He wants to be in relationship with us, and so he's offered us salvation through his son, Jesus Christ's death on the cross, that we can be forgiven of our sins. And in that relationship, we, we begin to discover that we can build and, 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 in fact, find this foundation for our lives and our worth in that relationship, a relationship that doesn't change, a relationship that, with a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's, that's really significant. I mean, if you think about it, here is this perfect, this sinless, this all-powerful, all-knowing God who loves me, who loves you, no matter what, so much that he would provide the means for our salvation. Listen, there is nothing you or I can do to cause God to love us more. But at the same time, there is nothing you or I can do that would cause him to love us less either. I didn't come up with that, but it is a great statement of God's unending, un unyielding love through Jesus 
We have been adopted into God's family. Our key verse from John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I mean, this idea is found throughout Scripture. It's not just in one place. And it gives us this, this basis, this foundation that we can build our identity on versus what the world says, versus what, what people want to push us into a box or even what we ourselves feel sometimes. When we receive Christ into our lives, believing that he died for the forgiveness of our sins, for my sins, God makes us, God makes me his child. We are his children, sons and daughters of God. That's what we've been singing this morning. We sing it to reinforce it, to affirm it. Our identity is based as followers of Jesus Christ on him who is unchanging versus anything else or or anyone else which is always subject to change. Our identity in Christ is, is this solid rock. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And so this key idea is that I believe I am significant because of my position as a child of God. And to get a better handle on this, we could could turn to any number of different scriptures, but this morning we're going to zero in on Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, where it gives us four really powerful images for us to grab onto for our identity. The Apostle Paul wrote this from prison in Rome to the Christians in Ephesus. Ephesus was loca- is located on the western shore of Turkey on the Aegean Sea. And it was, a, for the first century, it was a large, it was a modern city. But it's not 21st century America. And so as we examine this, there are a few bits and pieces we need to also become aware of to help us really understand the depth of what Paul is saying about our identity in Christ. And the first thing that we we will read here is that that Paul uses the image of adoption. First, uh, Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. It means before time, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, this idea of adoption is so important in the New Testament. And, and I, I'll, I've said it before, and I'll just be honest with you. When I was growing up, I used to kid my younger brother that he was adopted. Anybody else ever do that? Okay, I, some of you are being honest. Because in my mind, it was a way to get him upset. And it wasn't until I grew up and became an adult I realized what a gift adoption is. You know, some parents don't choose whether or not they want to have a child, but every parent who adopts does. It's a conscious choice. It's a decision to bring that child into a family. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, Paul tells us that God lovingly adopts us into his family. We become children of God. God didn't have to, and we certainly didn't deserve it. It wasn't like he said, oh, she's so cute. 
Look at him. Oh, I just can't, I can't, I can't not pick him. Look at those twinkling eyes. No. Even if you were the ugliest son of, gun, of the gun born, <laughs> he loves you. He chose you. You are precious to him. In fact, Scripture says Christ died for us while we were still sinners, while we were messed up, while we were opposed to God, while we didn't care. And so this is incredible news. But if we understand in the first century setting, it's even more stunning. Because in the Roman culture, when a baby was born, it was set at a father's feet. And the father had the option of picking up the baby and becoming his family's or turning away from the baby and walking away and abandoning that child. Now, that, that seems so foreign to so many of us, but that was typical. And, and so maybe the father wanted a boy and it was a girl. Maybe there was a birthmark or something that wasn't perfect. The father was well within his right to simply turn around and walk away and the baby would be taken out and essentially left, exposed to the elements and, and, and their way of thinking for the gods to decide if this child would live or not. Sometimes someone would come along and claim the child, but more often than not, in that setting, they didn't claim them to be their child, to be a son or daughter of them. Instead, they chose them to raise them to be a slave or even a prostitute. See, Paul was writing to a culture where life was cheap, where babies were routinely abandoned. And it is in this setting that Paul is telling these people that if, if you have come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your most defining moment isn't who threw you out, but who took you in. God picked you out. He picked you up and took you home to be his child. That was his decision. That was his choice. He was willing to die for you so that you would never face his rejection. He wanted you to be a, a part of his family, even if there was some, no one else who did. That has always been his plan. But until we're willing to welcome and receive Christ into our lives, we're not adopted. We're abandoned into the culture that says, well, we're never enough, that we don't measure up, that we don't count, that we don't have what it takes in some area or some part of our lives. And the good news is that followers of Jesus Christ are adopted to be children of the Most High God, the God who created the universe, the God who knows everything, the God who knows all your faults and failings and still chooses you. A second image is redemption. Beginning in verse 7, Paul writes, in him, and we'll see that phrase with these images, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Why would God do this? according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Paul says we have redemption 
through the blood of Jesus Christ. And again, let's be clear of the setting here. Ephesus had one of the largest slave markets in the Roman world. People were routinely captured and sold as slaves or raised up as slaves. And, and they were often, even as infants, if they were found at the dump, raised up as a slave to be taken to the market, to be sold. When they were bought, the, the legal term was redeemed. They were bought for a price. And so if a slave became a follower of Christ, the Apostle Paul wanted them to know that their primary identity wasn't as a slave to some human master. Someone else had paid a huge price for them, much more than what they would have thought they were worth. When Paul says, in him we have redemption through his blood, he's saying the adoption method God used wasn't money. It was his blood. And as Jesus hung on the cross in those last moments, in John 19.30, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It finished didn't just mean my life is over. It meant by my death, I have paid for your redemption, for your adoption, to bring your soul to God. You have been paid for in full. You, me, paid in full. And God did this because he loves you. He loves me. The scripture says from before the beginning of time. And so the third image is one of inheritance because there are blessings that go with being brought into the family of God, to being adopted. Ephesians verse 11 says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. We're not also rans. We're not um, the little stepchild over here. We, when we are adopted, we are a son or a daughter of God. And uh, 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 we're an heir we, with all the rights and privileges and a co-heir with Jesus himself. In Romans 8, it says, now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Everything that, that Christ has received in, in, in this existence is offered to us. His, his resurrection is offered to us. His eternity is offered to us. We are co-heirs, full-blown heirs of the family of God. We are not in some second-rate position. Some other scriptures tell us more about what we inherit as children of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. God no longer considers what was. He sees us now through the eyes of Christ and what we can be in him. 1 Corinthians 12.27, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. We are his body. We are we are not just some folks out on the periphery. We are the body. Philippians 3, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. 
In other words, this life isn't all there is. When life throws you a curve, when it's unfair, when stuff happens, because we have, have welcomed Christ into our lives, we have this inheritance that's undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. No matter what we go through in this day, in this time, our passport to, to this land calls us to higher standards where, where we travel because we are ambassadors for our home and for our king. And Paul says this new inheritance, this, this new family then is marked on us, if you will. Just as, as slaves in his time had a tattoo or, or a mark that was called a seal that marked them to their family, in verse 14 it says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. In other words, we do have to believe this. It's, it's not a mark we gain just because we hear about it, because we believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul says when we believe, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit as he comes to live in us. That that is why we can be different. That is why our lives can be materially changed. This, this mark, this seal, kind of like you, know, you take a, a brand and you put it on livestock, marks us that we are God's. That we belong to him. No one who does not follow and, and has not welcomed Christ in their lives can have the seal because the Holy Spirit knows our thoughts, knows our feelings. And if we're not there, he won't be there. So it is a definitive seal or mark. It's God's way of saying, when you placed your faith in Jesus, you received my seal on your life, the gift of the Holy Spirit. You are mine. I choose you. I love you. And it came at such a high price, this mark, the, the death of his son. And so he marks us with his spirit to tell us and help us know, to help us remember who we are and whose we are. Because you and I are going to walk out of here and we're going to start hearing immediately other voices that tell us who we are, that we're a number that we're a nobody, that we're so-and-so's relative, that, that we only matter if we do a certain, get a certain grade on a test or we accomplish something at our office or because we know somebody. All of these messages that, that point us in these directions. So God has given us his spirit and he calls us to to remember. He's telling us that God loves us so much that he's adopted us, redeemed us, and sealed us into his family. When we choose to be baptized after coming to faith in Christ, it's a way of acknowledging this new family and, and the price that Jesus paid for us. It's a, it's a, it's a marker. It's something I can point to, a, a, a point in time where I said, I know I made that decision. I know that I am a child of God. That's why we offer baptism. That's why this afternoon at 5 o'clock we'll be doing that. And we have a, a short class right after this service down in the Life Center. If you're, if you're considering it uh, or if you'd like to know more about that, to, to acknowledge this seal that is already present if you have committed your life to Jesus Christ. So what difference then does all this make in how I live? Well, first... Because of our new identity in Christ, we're free from condemnation. We are not condemned. 
even though we fall short. We are not condemned when we feel like we're not enough. Scripture says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There are folks who find it hard to accept God's mercy and grace. There are people who, who say to me, I don't feel like I deserve it. I, I, I feel like I've done so many things wrong or I, I, it's not even something I feel. Or I feel condemnation. I feel like I'm not worthy. It's so ingrained in our culture that we have to measure up and that the only, it's only of value when we feel it. But, but this is fundamental to what it means to becoming a child of God. We are no longer judged. We are no longer condemned. It is something that God says about you. And the question is, do we believe it? Do we accept it? Do we, when someone is condemning, when someone is critical, when someone is getting on our case, when we feel that in our hearts because we failed or we came up short or we didn't have the right answer, he wants us to understand that we are no longer condemned by him. Sin no longer has to control us, but, but we only experience that freedom as we believe and trust Christ to walk in the freedom that we have as an heir with him. When Satan or others or even our minds condemn us and tell us we're not worthy, you don't deserve this, you didn't work hard enough, you're not good enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not young enough, you're not old enough, you don't make enough, you, you go on and on, whatever it may be, we need to reject this garbage because it's not from God, who is our heavenly Father, who has the final say. It's scripture in Romans 8 says, who then will condemn us? Talking to followers of Jesus, no one. For Christ Jesus died for us and raised, was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. No one. You may feel it, you may even hear it, but those are not God's words. Why do we spend time in God's word? Why is this Believe series important? Because you and I need to replace some of the garbage with the truth. We need to take some of the things that we feel or even thoughts that don't line up with God's teaching and we need to make them our own. We need to move them from our head to our heart. We need to get to the point where we live these things so that those those darts of the enemy no longer sting. Second, our worth comes from our position in Christ as a child of God and not our performance because the world measures us by performance, by how well we do, by how we measure up. And inevitably, as we saw at the beginning of the message, like a Ronda Rousey or, or all kinds of people, even, I mean, I read people like Paul McCartney and, and folks like that, all, everybody sooner or later feels like, I don't measure up, I'm not good enough, can I, can I keep, keep doing it? And you know, we think, well, all I gotta do is get high enough up and, and I'll reach a point. But the problem is people who have reached that point, like Aronda Rousey, the most dominant athlete in the world, discover that it's not enough. There's always something more. And, and if we get caught up in that, there will always be times when we know we're not enough. If we keep trying to find our value and worth in the teachings of this world that don't last, I mean, it's like being on an endless treadmill, forever searching, never satisfied. The scripture says, see how very much our Father loves us. 
For he calls us his children, and that's what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we're God's children because they don't know him. And so what they say or what they think doesn't have to become the defining word in our lives. God's love and adoption through Jesus Christ is the source of our value, the source of why we matter, the source of of what we can then stand on as to how we go forward and we live our lives. We are loved, we are worthwhile simply because God says so. But we have to continually remind ourselves that because we get knocked down by the world, by Satan whispering in our ears that you're not enough by even our own history and feelings. We need to continually claim our place, our rightful place as a child of God. And and when we are in church, we're having that message reinforced. When we're in a small group, we're coming together and claiming that for ourselves. When we read the Bible, the, the Spirit reinforces God's truth versus the world's truth. Why do we do that? Why are we, why are these things matter? Because again, there is a world around us that would tear us down. And if we think that, that a few minutes once a week will combat the voices that we hear all throughout the week, we're going we're gonna to end up not just being mistaken. We're going to end up being taken down. We're going to end up fighting those battles. We're going to end up fighting for ourselves this sense of insecurity and lack of purpose and joy. And third, then, we can focus on building others up rather than tearing them down. Because when my worth is no longer on the line, regardless of how somebody else treats me, my ultimate in value and worth comes from Christ. And so I am free to love. I am free to be kind when I am... someone says something against me. I'm I'm free to love when someone gossips about me. I'm free to be uh, caring when someone dismisses me. And and, and that's hard to do because if we put our, our worth and our value in what others think of us, then how they respond to us really matters. And we start finding ourselves sometimes giving in to their thoughts or their feelings or trying to fulfill what they want us to be rather than who we are. And we start getting this this weird sense of I'm I'm this in Christ, but to be liked or accepted by this group or this boss or, or this friend, I have to do these things. And it creates this tension within us that just destroys us. We've got to be who Christ says we are. And when my worth is no longer on the line, I can share that with others. I can give that and help encourage others rather than get caught up in it. And again, in 1 John, it says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. 
the more we recognize our identity is grounded in Christ, the more our lives and our actions reflect who we really are and what really matters. I will base my value, I will base my worth on God's love and his adoption of me as his child because I have welcomed Christ into my life. And that means then that I can freely love others because I don't need them to make me okay or feel good about myself or to find my worth. And the more that love infuses our lives, the more we become like Jesus and act like him. And that's where real life begins to change. That's where real change in the world begins to happen. When we set aside pettiness, when we set aside what someone else did to me or said about me or what I think they think about me, and instead, I love because I have been loved. We are brothers and sisters in Christ and the, and the family resemblance should be uncanny. Our, our All Serve Sunday is just a way to consciously and intentionally live out the love of God in me, through me, because that's what God's children do. As we've said all through this series, our beliefs have consequences. What we believe matters. It, it plays itself out in how we live and how we go through life and how we go through and discover when I remember this, that in Christ, I am enough. Even if I struggle, I am enough. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to let it get me down or get down on myself. In Christ, I'm always enough. As I was looking at all this, a pastor named Tim Keller gave an analogy that was really helpful to me. See, see if it gives you something to work with. He said, imagine you are a billionaire, okay? A billionaire. And you've got three $10 bills in your pocket. You're in a, in a taxi. You, you reach your destination. The fare is a little less than $10. You give the, the cabbie one of the $10 bills. You walk away. Sometime later in the day, you reach down in your pocket and you discover that instead of still having two $10 bills, you only have one $10 bill. And you start thinking, either I dropped it somewhere or I accidentally gave it two $10 bills to that cabbie and he kept it and he didn't give me what was, what was rightfully mine back. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are, are you going to get all upset? Are you going to call the police and demand they go out and find that cabbie and, and, and get your $10 bill back? No. You're going to shrug. <laughs> You're a billionaire. I mean, what's 10 bucks to a billionaire, right? You lost 10 bucks, so what? You're too rich to be concerned about that little tiny loss. So this week, somebody criticizes you, says something about you. Somebody bought something you invested in and it turned out to be less valuable than you thought. Something you wanted to happen didn't go the way you wanted it to. You're facing some struggles at work and you don't have all the answers and you're not sure how you're going to fix it and, and work it through. What are you going to do if you're a Christian? Will this, one of these setbacks disrupt your life, cause you to lose all contentment, just fall apart, wail and, and, and weep and gnash and all that kind of stuff? Will you shake your fist at God and, 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 and say, God, why didn't you fix this? 
Will you toss and turn at night and have a hard time sleeping? If so, I would suggest that it's because you do not realize just how rich you really are. If you're that upset about your status with what other people think about you, if you're that bothered by how things are going in your life, if you're constantly lashing out at people for hurting your feelings, and you might call it a, a lack of self-control or, or a lack of self-esteem, and it, it is those things, but more fundamentally, you have lost touch with your identity. As a Christian, you are a spiritual billionaire. And you're wringing your hands over 10 bucks. Think about it. Who does God say you are? I am a child of God. I am co-heir with Christ. I am not un under condemnation. I am loved for who I am. And when someone says otherwise, I can let it ruin my day, ruin my week, ruin my life, or I can remember who I am and whose I am. My identity is grounded in Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, and because of him, I am enough. Because of him, you are enough. You are enough. That's a struggle to grab hold of. And a lot of us struggle at one time or another with that. Let our prayer team down here pray for you this morning. They would love to do that. Because that's not what God says about you. Not at all. If you have come to realize you're a child of God, you've welcomed Christ in your life and you haven't been baptized, or even this morning, that's a decision you want to make. We have a class right after this service down in our Life Center. And they can talk to you about that. And you can be baptized this afternoon, 5 o'clock. And you can proclaim, I am a child of God. And nothing anyone else says about me or does to me matters. For I am grounded in Jesus Christ. I'll be out here in our First Steps area. I'd love to say hello to you. If there's something else you need, our Next Steps area right out these doors is there to help you. But join me. Let's, let's pray that we would claim our inheritance. Father God, thank you that through Jesus Christ you have loved us and accepted us. And not just as poor, broken sinners, but as sons and daughters of God. You have claimed us to be your very own you have, you have looked at us, and, and Scripture says you made this decision while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. You love us. And, and regardless of, of what others think, regardless of how things are going in our lives, some of us are in good places, some of us not so good. But that doesn't change your love for us your eternal love, your love that offers us an inheritance kept in heaven, undefiled, unfading. 
that no matter what this life throws at us, we can find peace and joy now and eternity with you. We are children of God, sons and daughters. Father, may we live as your kids today. May people see us and see the family resemblance because we don't allow the garbage of this world to influence our thinking, our thoughts, our understanding of ourselves. We are your children. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, sons and daughters of God. See you next week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.